Colorado Springs, what have you gotten yourself into? This is just a quick breakdown of everything that's been going on in the state of Colorado, and more specifically Colorado Springs, because I live here, and it's important to me. So we had Proposition HH, which got turned down by the voters by an overwhelming like 60-some percent. Two-thirds of voters said no to this, we're not doing this. And so what Prop HH was, was a way to uh, for the state to reduce our property taxes just a little bit from like 6.75 to 6.7, just like a, in a tiny little percent. And in return, all that money that we as property owners would have saved from that property tax slight reduction would have been would have come out of our Tabor refunds. So if you're not familiar with Tabor, go look it up. But it's a taxpayer's bill of rights in Colorado. It's unique to our state. And so it, it prevents the state from keeping any extra money that it takes from its residents in the form of taxes. It puts a limit on things. And so all that refund money that we would have been getting is going to make up the difference in the property taxes that get reduced. That was what Prop HH would have done. But not only would it have taken the uh, what we would have gotten reduced, uh, the equivalent in Tabor refunds, but it would have taken everybody's Tabor refunds in perpetuity. And allocated them to the state. So it was essentially removing Tabor, and people saw that for what it was and said, no, I'm not going to do that. So Governor Polis said before Prop HH was voted on, I'm going to, if this doesn't pass, I'm going to figure out a way to reduce property taxes anyway. And so that's where we get to this screen here, where the House passes a property tax relief bill. The House Transportation, Housing, and Local Government Committee passed legislation yesterday to provide short-term property tax relief passed on the committee by a vote of nine to four. So this increases the exemption in multifamily and single family properties and it goes from $15,000 in exemption to $55,000 and decreases the residential assessment rate from 6.765 that's what i meant to say to 6.7% for the 2023 tax year oh let's i don't know if that's going to cover any future years that's what prop hh was trying to do was to reduce it from 6.765% to 6.7 Wow, what a huge margin. But so now Polis has come along and said, we're going to reduce this anyway, and we're not going to eat into your Tabor refunds. So uh, what uh, the offset revenue loss resulting from these property tax reductions, this bill would transfer $135 million of general fund dollars to the state education fund to be used to backfill school districts' budgets and would appropriate $65 million of general fund dollars to be used to backfill fire districts and local government services. Okay, so I read into this a little bit more. So after reducing the assessment rate for residential properties just a tad the we're going to have a little bit less revenue as a result of that right so to offset that uh, our state is pulling out 146 million dollars from the general fund that we just have money lying around in and that's going to go directly into the state education fund to backfill the school district's budgets and then another 54 million dollars 
of the general fund money is going to be used to backfill the fire districts, ambulance and health districts and local government services. So while keeping the budget for all of our existing services in place in order to offset that slight reduction in property taxes, our state is pulling a several million about 200 million dollars uh out of the general fund in order to make up the difference now i'm not a political expert i am a real estate expert so i had to look this up and most of the general fund money comes from income and sales tax in Colorado's general fund for the 2023 to 2024 fiscal year, we have $14.7 billion available. I don't know how much of that is already allocated, but I thought that was interesting. And by the way, if you're getting value out of this, if you like this video, please click the like button, hit the subscribe bell to see more videos like this, and hit the bell too. So that way you get notified immediately of the next videos that I make. I talked about this in a couple of my short videos also, but I'm going to bring it up again, is that it's getting more expensive to live in Colorado. It's not a huge cost. I mean, we'll switch over to here because the average cost of living in Colorado, uh, the state of Colorado is at least $53,000 a year. Your expenses may vary, but take a screenshot of this because you'll see housing and utilities is expected that you're paying a little over $10,000 a year for housing and utilities. I guarantee you're paying more than that. So this number is actually low. Healthcare, are you paying for healthcare? Are you on a, a plan? Are you just paying out of pocket? Do you have insurance? Is insurance a joke? Because I feel like it is. Food and beverages, non-restaurant, so just your eating, your eating expenses, just food is $4,000 a year. Gas, over $1,000 a year. All other personal expenditures, what does that account for? But that's $30,000 a year. So this is on SoFi.com, cost of living in Colorado. You can scroll down to see Colorado Springs, the typical home price it says is $446,000. That's not true. Come over here. You'll see the average home price here currently in November is over $513,000. The median is $450,000. So if you want to buy a house here, that's, or this is, condos, townhomes, and houses all together. So if it's just a house, it's going to be more expensive than this. But just as an average and a median, this is what you're going to be paying in order to buy property here in Colorado Springs. So if you work in like IT or tech and you make six figures a year, this isn't really going to apply to you. Congratulations. I mean, seriously, if you're making six figures a year, that's great. That's what you need to be making in order to live here in Colorado. Because if you're not, you end up like Justice Wilson here. Uh, this article comes from the Colorado Sun, uh, where it's just the high cost of Colorado is what this article is about how expensive it is to live here and so it details uh this woman justice wilson misses out on her kids sports and homework because she's driving for doordash and instacart and postmates all evening after working all day as a medical assistant and she still falls behind on rent the idea of owning a home for wilson is not a dream it's a taunt Average rent for a one-bedroom apartment is about $2,000 in Colorado. Average price of a home, we already looked at that. In five years, the average price of a four-pound whole chicken has jumped to $8.50 from $6.34. A gallon of milk was $2.99. Now it's $4. Child care, don't forget that. If you want somebody to be able to watch your kids while you're going to work, that's an additional cost. Child care is over $1,500 a month in Denver. It's a lot more expensive to live here. And there's a lot of jobs that people work that are not considered 
real jobs, jobs that don't pay a living wage, jobs that you're supposed to move on from, and this unskilled labor. Well, guess what? It is very highly skilled labor to flip burgers all day at a restaurant. It is grueling work to work at a fast food restaurant, among many other jobs that you could have that are just people would consider gig jobs. These are people's normal jobs. They don't have any other options. And it's not like, oh, go to college and get the skill. A bachelor's degree is the new high school diploma. Like nobody can, a lot of people cannot afford to spend that money to get that bachelor's degree just so that they can stay current with everybody else, it's not feasible to get a high-paying job for a lot of people. And again, if you have the high-paying job, that's great. That is what you need in order to live here. So are we going to have a real estate crash? It doesn't look like it. I mean, you can see here, and this is a Fortune article, top economist who predicted the 2008 housing crash says the commercial real estate bubble is about to burst. They've been saying that for a while, but guess what? At least here in Colorado Springs, we don't have that issue. Developers did not overbuild the office and commercial spaces here, so there's not really a crash that can happen here. We don't have enough of uh, commercial property here in Colorado Springs. Denver, maybe. Denver's got a lot more of uh, the office space. But we don't have it down here. We have a very low skyline with not a lot of these office buildings, so there's no real opportunity to have a crash. You want to talk residential real estate crash? Come over to here to Newsweek. Will the housing market crash? Morgan Stanley gives a 2024 prediction. You want the too long didn't read? It's going to be maybe a 3 to 5% drop in home prices through 2024 is the prediction from some of these experts here. Whoopee, yippee, skippy. That doesn't really, that's not the 30-40% that a lot of people were thinking, hoping for, wishing for. I don't think that that's going to happen. You've got a housing market correction, and that's all that you're going to get down here. Yeah, maybe a uh, drop as much as 5% next year, and that's it, because you don't have any reason for home prices to drop. You have a low supply, you have a consistent low supply, and you have a very high demand. Colorado Springs and Colorado in general are desired places to live. The demand isn't going anywhere. Uh, we're not like Japan, where the population is shrinking. Our population is growing, and people are coming to Colorado Springs from Denver, from California, from Illinois, from all these other places, because the housing is cheaper here, and that's just going to drive the prices up. And one last thing is, are the interest rates going to drop? Is the Fed going to do anything? And the answer to that is no. Look at here from Reuters, Fed minutes likely to anchor careful monetary policy approach. If you come down here, uh, Jerome Powell had this to say, inflation has given us a few head fakes. If it becomes appropriate to tighten policy further, we will not hesitate to do so. We will continue to move carefully, however, allowing us to address both the risk of being misled by a good few months of data and the risk of over-tightening. So the Fed is not going to do anything at this point. They're on a pause, as it were. They're taking a break from rate hikes, but they're definitely not going to do rate cutbacks. They're not going to cut the rates at all. What they want to see is at least six months worth of data before they do anything. They're seeing a lot of fluctuation in the market, in inflation, 
in CPI, and they are not going to do anything at this point. So the rates are kind of stuck where they're at with a little bit of wavering in between. You'll see um, optimal blue, you've got 7.3% for a 30-year loan. Mortgage News Daily, you've got 7.38. Uh, come over to the Fred and you've got 7.44 for the interest rates. So we're at a good 7.37.4% for interest rates right now. And that's not going to change. You know, we were up toward 8% a few weeks, a month ago. And are we going to come back down? I don't see a reason for us to come back down because the banks are still worried about a recession, as they should be. Everybody's worried, right? So the banks have that extra spread in between what they pay for the government loans and then what they're going to resell them to the consumers for. And that spread is much higher than it historically has been. And again, they're worried about a recession. We're all worried about a recession. And yet I'm not seeing any signs of that recession coming. And guess what? If I see those signs, I'm gonna let you know on all these platforms right away because I've got people waiting to buy property. I've got people going, hey, I'd love to buy something, but the high cost of home prices and the higher interest rates is just not really feasible for us right now. I got a lot of people that have a property already that they want to sell and then buy something up, you know, move into something bigger, move into something smaller. And they can't do that right now because it's not financially feasible for them. And I don't know that that's going to change because the demand is not going to go away. We've got uh, Space Command that's here to stay now. We've got military installations that consistently bring in uh, PCS, military personnel who are just coming and going uh, to and from the different bases. And we've got a great economic market. We've got a great job market here. And speaking of the economy, yeah, the economy is doing okay, so they say. But all that means is that a lot of people are dipping into their savings, dipping into their HELOCs, they're uh, just adding on to their credit card balances, and that's how they're actually staying afloat. It's not that the economy is doing well, it's that people are suffering, but they're digging into credit in order to alleviate that. And that's not really a good thing. At this moment in time, it's a really good strategy if you are in a position to buy property, or even if you're in a position to sell and then buy, a good strategy and one that I have seen a lot lately is people are buying sellers' assumable loans. So if you have an FHA loan or a VA loan or a USDA loan, that is potentially an assumable loan, as in somebody else could assume the mortgage of that or assume the loan of that property for you. And if you have a lower interest rate, that's definitely appealing. And it's especially helpful if there's not a lot of equity difference between what you bought it for and what you're selling it for. So let's say you got a $500,000 property, you're selling it for $500,000. You paid $450,000 for it, maybe like let's say two years ago, and you have a VA loan. Well, that's great because someone can take over that $450,000 mortgage at a two and a half, three and a half percent, you know, whatever your interest rate was at the time that you bought it. And they only have to pay out in cash the difference in equity. So between that four hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand dollars, there's a fifty K spread. If they can come up with that fifty K difference out of pocket, pay the seller and then take over that loan. That makes it way easier to get into this market and to get a nice property that is at a doable interest rate. 
The other option I'm seeing right now are rate buy-downs. So this is something that you can do as the buyer with your own lender, or you can ask the seller to cover that cost. So what this looks like is, let's say you have that 500K property for sale, and interest rates are at 7.3, 7.4%. And you say to the seller, hey, I know this property has been sitting on the market for a little bit, want to sell it. Uh, here's my offer. And I would like uh, you as the seller to pay down the rate on my loan. And that's going to look like maybe $10,000, $20,000, depending on what kind of option you choose. But what you're having them do is put that ten dollars to $20,000 toward your loan, buying down the rate for the first one to three years. Uh, and so it's not a full rate buy down for the entirety of the loan. It's just for the first, like I said, one to three years that your rate is a percentage point to 3% lower than that 7.3, 7.4. Really appealing. If you can make the monthly payments work at that lower interest rate, that's great. And so you'll work with your lender on how to make that loan work. And the other option is that you can talk to your lender directly and say, hey, I would like the first few years of my interest rate to be a few points lower. And in return, the rest of the loan for the rest of the 30 years is going to be higher than it otherwise would. Now, that doesn't sound wonderful, right? But keep in mind, if you refinance that property, if interest rates drop naturally in the course of the next few years, you can refinance out of that higher interest rate payment, refinance it at a, whatever the lower rate is, and you still got yourself into a property. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do this or that this is like you absolutely should do this in order to get into this market. But if you want to get into the housing market right now, the assumable loans and the rate buy-downs are two great strategies in order to make it less expensive for you to do so. My name is Kevin James Bond. I'm with Remax Real Estate Group, and I help buyers and sellers buy and sell houses in the Colorado Springs area all the time. I have people asking me questions all the time about how to make this work and how to get started in buying property and selling property. And I would love to help you with that too. So if that's you and you need some help, please reach out to me and I would be happy to help you. Thank you so much for watching, and I will see you in the next video.